uh, we're going to kick off our message here with uh, reading today's scripture. And I love this because we get to marinate and hang out in the whole scripture together and read it in its entirety. So um, as I'm reading this, if you need to close your eyes to help you concentrate and focus and listen or, or go ahead and follow on the screen. But today uh, we're going to be uh, hanging out in Numbers 21 through 13. It starts uh, with this. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled, quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died with our brothers, fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the, this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, figs, grapevines, or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron, Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent and of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You'll bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring your, you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he showed him himself holy among them. That is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Good. Well, happy Sunday, everybody, and uh, happy Father's Day again, and it's good to be together uh, in person, and for those watching online, uh, it's good to just be together, whether we're in person or online, we are one church uh, moving in the same direction, and we are continuing to wander, speaking of going in a direction, we're just wandering the desert here, uh, we're in our 10th week looking at the, the journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land, and we're wandering the desert with the Israelites, seeing how it parallels our own journey. And I want you to think for a moment, what does a desert experience feel like? Not literally, but an emotional desert, a spiritual desert, a relational desert. You feel like you're in this desert. See, I've had multiple people during this series say, Sean, I feel like I'm in a desert time. So this series is just speaking uh, right to me. It's reading my email, if you will. Well, what words would you use to describe how you feel, what you experience. What do, what do you feel in a desert time? Lonely. Uncertain. Tired. What else do you feel? What? Depressed. Yeah. Any other words that come to mind? Confused. Overwhelmed. Lost. Right? I'm sorry? Anxious. So these words that you're using describe not only the people of Israel wandering the desert, 
We see that in their story. We've seen that over these 10 weeks. But we see it in our own story, in our own journeys, in our own deserts that we're in. And all the while, we're contending for, we're looking for, we're, we're praying for what? A promised land. A, a season of life of vibrance and health and growth and uh, something different than the desert that we've been in. And the idea here that we've been learning this whole series is that we are learning through this wandering to trust and to follow Jesus. Whether we're in a desert or we're in paradise, we're learning to follow and trust and, and depend on Jesus. And out of this series has kind of birthed this, this slogan statement for our church. And you've heard me say it a few times, uh, that we are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. And I think that you see that in this story. Uh, you see that in our church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God. And you see that even in the early church. As uh, you read through Acts, you see Peter and Paul countless times say, hey, we're just dudes. We're just guys. We're ordinary people. But we are seeing God do the incredible because we're following him. Because of what he's done in our lives and what he's done through our lives and what he's doing in the lives around us, it, they're not taking credit for it. And I think this, this slogan statement, if you will, uh, captures the idea of who we are as a church. And I'm excited. We, we have a little new swag coming soon. Can I show you a picture of what's coming? Depending on FedEx uh, <laughs> and shipping. Uh, next week, we hope to have these available for you, these new Hub City Church tumblers that say our new slogan statement of ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. And just in time for, for summertime, right? You can throw your ice beverage in there and carry it around and, and, and have it with you. But the idea is just to be remembering that's what we're learning in this. This is who we are. This is where we're going. And, and we look at a story like this that Tyler just read in, in Numbers chapter 20, and we see Moses, he's not trusting in Jesus. He's not following God wholeheartedly. He's having this emotionally driven, reactionary moment. He's following his feelings. And a lot of times in life, when we're getting out of our deserts, we're trying to get out of our deserts, what do we look to? Well, I think this is going to feel right. I think this will work for me. It's apropos that it's Father's Day. How many dads try to jerry-rig things? I think this will do the trick, right? We're trying to fix things. I think this will work. I watched it on YouTube. It must work. And how many of us are going through life trying to do what feels right, what we think is right, what our gut says is right, what culture says is right? We see this moment with Moses where he's having to make those types of tough decisions, but he's making the decisions based on what he feels is right. And we do this outside of our spiritual lives. We do this in our physical lives. Think about working out. How many of us go to the gym and we're just like, I'll work out as long as it feels right, right? You ever go to the gym and just like, well, I'll do a couple of push-ups and I'll do a couple of reps. Yeah, that feels about right. Okay, I'm healthy, right? I, I've been on a health kick this year and, and for years trying to lose weight, right? How many of you can relate? You don't have to show hands on that one, right? But you're, you're going for years trying to just lose those extra pounds and get, get down a, a pant size or a shirt size. I've been working all year with my wife. We've been in it together. I'm down 45 pounds. And uh, no, you don't. It's not a humble brag, really. Uh, but I'll tell you what the game changer was for, for us was this year we both got Apple Watches. And what it did, the difference was, was all of a sudden that strenuous walk that we thought was just burning so many calories, you look at it and you're like, 107? 
107 calories. I'm sweating like Shaq, right? I just, I'm pouring sweat and it's just 107 calories. That's less than a soda. Okay, I guess I got to keep going. And, and all of a sudden it takes the feeling of being so healthy out of it because you're following the actual metrics of it and saying, okay, I got to push a little bit farther. I got to ride or run or go a greater distance. That, that time at the gym needed to extend a little bit longer because I could see what I was burning. The other thing that was a game changer for me was counting my calories. Oh, oh it's just a scary thought of how many calories I was bringing in before I started this, but using this app that I downloaded on my phone, and, and I get a 10 cent uh, kickback for everyone that downloads this app, so please <laughs> download this app. Show them the app. It's the lose it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't get an app. Uh, I get no kickbacks for any of this. I'm just sharing a part of my story was starting to count the calories. Because I would go to Subway, their whole slogan is what? Eat fresh. So if it's fresh, it's got to be healthy. And I would load up this foot-long sandwich with all these meats and cheeses and mayonnaise and mustards and all of these things, and I'd put a couple of green peppers on it and say, it's got lettuce and green peppers, it must be healthy. And then you calculate it in, and you're like, holy smokes, that's worse than the quarter pounder I just ate yesterday. Right? And you start calculating these things, and it takes the feeling out of it. Well, it felt healthy, so it must have been. And that was the real game changer, going to the gym and working out not based on how I feel. Eating healthy, not based on what I feel, but what the information is telling me and what I started to learn. With it, my feelings could be wrong. So for years, I was trying to lose weight based on what I thought was right, what felt right. And I think what we begin to see in this story is a man named Moses struggling to lead and make decisions, and he's leaning on his gut, his emotions, his feelings, his circumstances. And there are times in our life where our feelings might be wrong, that we feel a certain way, but it's not the right step of action. That's not depending on Jesus. There's no faith required in that because we're leaning more into our gut than we're leaning into Jesus. And that comes with consequences for Moses. And, and what we're going to do is just, I'm, I'm going to look at a couple of moments in that story that Tyler read. And we're going to ask ourselves this question, what is Moses feeling right now? And what we're going to do is, is compile it into a feelings blender. Is that okay? A blender, right? Um, we're going to make a little smoothie of emotions. And if I was playing Pictionary, this was the best blender I could draw. So good luck. That was a pretty good blender, right? Yeah. Some people guessed it was a coffee cup. I don't know. I don't know, I, I had to add the propeller there to make it more lifelike, but that was the best blender. So if you're a better artist, my apologies, but this is the best thing I could do. Uh, but what we're going to do is look at Moses' story, asking ourselves, what is he feeling? And we're going to put those feelings and those emotions into this blender, because I really look at this story and I don't see it as one thing that set him off to strike the rock. It's a composite of things. How many of you know when you get mad, it's not just one thing? It's not just the one guy cut you off uh, on the freeway. It's not just that the kids spilled grape juice on the couch. It's a culmination of feelings. And the same is true with Moses. You take all of that, throw it in the blender, hit go, and drink that up. And he goes and he strikes the rock. So let's look at it. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, in this first verse. This was a verse that, in reading this story, almost skip over. But we see that this could be affecting Moses in this moment. Verse 1, in the first month of the whole, the, the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried, period. I'm going to stop there. Who is Miriam? His sister. 
Moses' sister has just passed away. See, we might read that, and if you don't know that Moses' his sister is Miriam, you know, they don't win brownie points for Bible trivia today. Well, earlier we did, but not right now. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's seeing that, we might just skip right over that sentence, but it is important because what, let's ask ourselves this question, what is Moses feeling? He just had to bury his sister in the desert. His sister who has been with him through the desert for 39 years, contending, leading, praying, supporting. She had her other moments where she tried to take over. That's another story. But she dearly loved him and he dearly loved his sister. She passes away in the desert. What's he feeling? Grief. What else is he feeling? Loss. Anything else? Sadness. Loneliness. He just lost a confidant, right? Now you get to see my spelling at work. Live. So we begin to put that into our feelings blender for Moses. And we keep going in verse 2 and 3. It says, Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses. I want you to think about Moses for a moment. For 39 years, this has been a repetitive occurrence. If you've been tracking with us over these 10 weeks, you might be thinking, didn't we read this before? No, it just happens a lot, right? It happens a lot that something doesn't go like they planned, and what is their response? They just whine at Moses. They whine at Aaron. They whine at God. They're not happy. So again, they complain. Again, they want something that they don't have. Again, they want to go back to Egypt, and they want to go back to slavery. Again, the people forget what God has done. For 39 years, can you imagine that? 39 years ago was 1982. Some of us in the room weren't even born. How would you feel if you're Moses for 39 years listening to that? Frustrated. What else is Moses feeling? Frustrated. Irritated. that up, angry, tired. tired, what else? Exasperated, thank you Peter, you guys are all bringing up your thesauruses right now on your phones, let's mess with pastor. What about feeling like nothing's ever going to be good enough? How many times do we got to watch God show up before you'll finally get it, guys? The tired, the fatigue, the fed up, the irritation. It's just that point of like, come on, right? And so what does Moses do? He hits this point of feeling almost helpless with them, right? Like, I can't do this anymore, guys. Like, get over it. So what does Moses do? He actually has a response of faith. His response is not to, ah, in that moment, we haven't fully blended his blended smoothie of emotion yet. His first response is actually one of faith, where he goes and he runs to God. He says he gets on his knees with his brother Aaron, and they begin to pray and ask God, what do we do? And God gives him clear direction. 
he has a moment of faith. He says, God, I need guidance. This is Sean paraphrase. I need a compass or a GPS. God, what do we do next? And, and God gives him instruction. In verse 8, he says, take the staff, right? The very staff that you parted the seas with and did all these amazing things. Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Great. How many of you would love that kind of an information download from God, right? I went, I prayed, God told me exactly what to do. What Moses is hearing, and it's interesting, this is not the first time they've run out of water. This is not the first time that water is going to come from a rock. Water has come from a rock before in Exodus 17. God gives Moses another instruction years prior, like 38 years prior. Think about this. In Exodus 17, this is the instruction that God gave Moses. And I want you to see the similarities and the one difference. In Exodus 17, verse 5 through 6, Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take, your, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people, well, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses is hearing this in Numbers 20, and it's got to remind him of Exodus 17, in this moment, you know, decades earlier, where God says, here we go, this is what you do. So if Moses is processing this, what is he thinking in that moment? Oh, we've done this. So what's he thinking? What's he feeling? What do you think? Confidence. Would you be confident if God told you to do something and you're like, oh God, we did that like 38 years ago. I know how to do that. Yeah, let's do that again. Right? You'd have this kind of control. You'd have this element of, I got this. There's a confidence. What else? Kind of a reassuredness, right? God has clearly told him what to do. Great, that gives me confidence. Oh, and it matches up very similar to what I did before. Oh, we got this, God. We turn God's instructions sometimes into formulas. But did you see the difference between Numbers 20 and Exodus 17? There was one very clear difference. In Numbers 20, what is he not told to do? Don't strike the rock. He says to do what to the rock? Speak to the rock. That's the, that's the difference. In Exodus 17, strike the rock. Numbers 20, just speak to the rock. Watch what happens. Don't strike it. So Moses grabs the staff. He gathers the people in front of him. And instead of speaking to the rock, he speaks to the crowd. And this is what he says. And from these words, we can see a little bit more that goes into his emotional blender here. Because out of the heart... Jesus says, the mouth speaks. So as we look at his words, what are we going to see? We're going to see Moses' heart. And this is what Moses says in verse 10. Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Must we bring you water out of this rock? What do you see in the few words that Moses speaks to the crowd instead of the rock? One is he says, you rebels. Now the name calling starts. Oh, you rebels. It's been 40 years of us wandering in the desert. You just don't get it. I get it. I'm Moses, but you don't get it. Why do you keep doing this, you rebels, you rambunctious rebel? Right? 
Then he says this statement, must we bring you water? Who's bringing the water out of the rock? God is providing the water out of the rock. Who's taking the credit for getting the water out of the rock? Moses is taking the credit for getting the water out of the rock. So let's ask this question one last time. What is Moses feeling in this moment? Oh, man, you guys, you've got to give me self-righteous. Uh, it is correct. You're, out, you're spot on. You just gave me like way too many letters. I got it right here. Self-righteous. Took up the whole blender, right? Another word would be pride. What, what else? Affirmation. Affirmation. Okay. Affirmation. He's telling, taking like a self-affirmation, right? He's like, look at me. He's taking the credit, right? The superiority, almost a God complex is coming out. I am going to provide you water. I am going to fix this. I am going to be the solution. I am going to control this situation. And we take all of that and blend it together. The grief, the exasperation, the frustration, the tired, the angry, helpless, the self-righteous, the pride. We blend it all up. And what do we get? He strikes the rock. Some of you just woke back up. He strikes the rock, right? Again, I don't think in our angry, reactionary moments, it's always just one thing. I think it's a culmination of multiple things. And for Moses, it is all of this that culminates to this moment of reactionary leading. And he strikes the rock. It says in verse 11, Then Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff, water gushed out, and the community... For the community and the livestock drank. So he disobeys him. He strikes the rock. Not once, but twice. All that grief and frustration and pride and control. How many of us can relate to this? Take all that emotion, put it together in one big blend, and all of a sudden, what do we do? We, we slam doors. We strike the table. I almost put my fist through our router this week. Couldn't get Wi-Fi signal through our house. Just wanted to like... Strike the router, right? But God said, speak to the router. And so I just spoke to it. And then I threw it across the living room. <laughs> I am not exaggerating on that. You can ask April for fact-checking. I did throw our router across the room. Why? Because I was just frustrated. Moses is all of these things at once, and we allow our feelings. And how many of us could sit there and say, he was right to do that? They weren't listening, they were complaining, they forgot, he was grieving, he was this, he was that. And we might justify it and excuse it and say, of course he struck the rock. Of course you threw your router across the room. Of course you slammed the door. Of course you yelled and said those things. You felt that. You felt that was going to get the response or the reaction or that was going to get the solution that you expected. And how many of us have leaned into that? And I look at Moses and I wonder how many times I've done that in, in my own ways to try to bring about a solution and realize maybe my feelings are wrong. Because in Moses' case, his, what he felt was right was wrong. We see that in God's correction of him. In verse 12, it says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring the, this community into the land I give them. So this is a big deal to God. 
we might excuse it, right? He just struck the rock twice. What's the big deal? God, that's pretty harsh. He doesn't get to go on the promised land anymore. We would look at that and say, what's the big, why is this so wrong? But look at that verse and you'll see a couple of key themes that I think are very important. One is trust. Moses wasn't trusting God. Who was he trusting in? Himself. He was trusting in his actions. He was trusting in his words. He was trusting in himself to be the answer, to take control, to bring the solution. We allow our feelings to dictate our decisions, and we trust what? I think this is right. I think this is best for me and my family. I think, I think, I think. I'm trusting in me. Or I'm going to trust in this person over here. I'm going to trust in YouTube. Or I'm going to trust in culture. I'm going to trust in Oprah. Or I'm going to trust in somebody else. Or trust in myself. But in Moses' case, he was trusting in himself more than he was trusting in God. Why else is this a big deal? The other key word in there is honor. It says, you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy. So the other element there is his reaction, his disobedience, is not just that it was wrong. It was that... He wasn't trusting God, but he wasn't going to honor God because who was going to get the credit when the water came out? Moses. Moses is going to get the credit. Why do we got to bring you all this water? I think the we is him and Aaron, not him and God. Why do we got to do all this? How many of us, when we're trying to get out of our deserts and we're trying to bring solutions and we're trying to fix our problems, and who gets all the credit? We do. I mean, I just humble bragged my way earlier, right, to, to giving myself honor. Look at all the weight I've lost, 45 pounds. This is how I did it. Who did I trust? The Lose It app. I trusted my Apple Watch. I trusted myself, right? I told you all, I did all the things that Moses did just in, in my weight loss, but who was getting all the credit? Me. Who were you applauding? You weren't applauding Jesus. Oh, great, Yahweh, you got them thin, right? It was like, hey, great job, Sean. You know, the spotlight's on me. But we do that in other things. How am I going to get out of this desert with my marriage or with my kid or with my work? How am I going to get out of this emotional desert, this spiritual desert? And so we look to solutions. We try to fix it ourselves. And who's going to get the credit for all of those things? Not God. Because I'm leaning into a book, or I'm leaning into a formula, I'm leaning into myself. And the third element there that we see in God's correction of Moses, he says, but because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Moses did not do this alone. He did this with an audience. And that audience mattered to God because they were witnessing a man's reaction. And what they witnessed was going to affect their faith. And God cared about their faith as much as he cared about Moses' faith. Right? Because they're watching Moses, and who are they going to trust in? They're watching Moses strike the rock and water comes out. Who are the Israelites going to then trust in? Moses. Who are they going to honor? Moses. Right? We do the same thing. We're sitting there and we elevate people pastors and speakers and authors and books and all these things. We elevate ourselves and, and we're doing it in front of an audience of people. We make all these emotionally charged decisions and we think that these decisions are only going to affect ourselves, but in reality, that's not true. They affect other people and their journey with Christ. So it's not just that he didn't trust, it's not just that he didn't honor, but also that his decision was going to affect the hundreds of thousands of other people watching at that time. 
And I think for me, when looking at this verse, there is almost a litmus test of us, uh, for us to evaluate. Is that step truly of God or is it truly of me? Right? Because how many of you wrestle with that? I got to do the right thing. I need to do, take this step. This is going to help me in, the, in this season. And we wonder, like, is that, is that me or is that God? Anybody ever wrestle with that? Like, right? A few of us do. We're, we're feeling like we should do something. We should make a change. We could take a step of boldness, a step of faith here. We feel like it's a step of faith, but I think some quick questions. Is that decision going to cause you to trust yourself or trust God more? So you want to make a change in your life? You, you think that's going to lead you to a more flourishing, promised land type of season? Well, who are you going to be trusting in more based on that decision? You're going to trust more in Jesus or trust more in yourself? Trust more in Jesus or trust in your spouse? Trust more in Jesus or trust in someone? It's a great question to be asking when we're thinking about making these changes. Who's going to be honored by that decision? Who gets the credit? If we're wondering, God, am I supposed to be doing this? Should I be doing that? Is that a step? Is that what I should be? Or I don't know. Is that me? Is that God? Well, who's going to get honored? Who's getting the credit? And then lastly, how will that decision affect other people in their pursuit of God? It's a great question to ask because people are watching our lives. We all have an audience. There's just different audiences. But how will my steps of action and obedience affect other people's faith? Or will it lead them astray? And I want to pivot here from talking about Moses to talking about Jesus, because I think we look at Moses and what we see, we, we kind of bring Moses off the pedestal and we see his humanity in this moment, don't we? He's just, he is a guy, an emotional guy. He makes a mistake, we make emotional mistakes, but when you compare that with Jesus, we see an example to follow. Moses, we can relate to. Jesus is what we follow. When we look at Jesus, Jesus faces deserts in his life and in his ministry, and one towards the end of his life, I think, is a desert. Not literally. He's not literally hanging out in the desert, but think about the last few moments before his death. And think about the moments where he's about to be betrayed by Judas. He's about to be arrested. His disciples are going to abandon him. His best friend Peter is going to disown him three times, even to a little girl. He's going to be beaten, he's going to be executed, and he's going to die. Does that sound like a desert to anybody? Where we are confused and alone and broken and desperate and tired. It's a proverbial desert Jesus walks into. And his response is much like Moses. Interestingly enough, they take the same posture. Jesus gets on his knees and he prays. Moses, as we said, got on his knees and prays. He just didn't respond to it. He didn't do it. Whereas Jesus gets on his knees, and we see that in the garden in Matthew 26, Jesus takes this posture of faith. What does he do? He gets on his knees and he prays. And you see that emotion come out. God, if this could pass from me, please take it. I will step aside. I, this would feel better, right? You see his humanity. It would feel better. My gut says I would like to not get beaten today. My gut says I would like to not die today. But what I feel isn't always what that step of faith needs to be. So I will take that cup. I will drink from that cup. I will be obedient to that. And you see that prayer time be so pivotal. Think about how that fueled him, how that prepared him for what he was about to go through. And you see his response in Peter's letter to the early church when he, he describes this very almost poetically 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. Listen to the way Peter describes Jesus. Compare and contrast that with Moses in the heat of this desert emotional moment. And this is Jesus' response. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, if you compare Moses and Jesus, you see Moses is our humanity and what we normally do. Jesus, as Peter says, gives us an example to follow. That in the face of insults, he is able to be obedient and quiet and endure. In the face of difficulty, in the face of emotional stress, he doesn't strike the rock, metaphorically. He endures. And who does he trust? What does Peter say? He entrusted himself to the one who judges. He was fully all in trusting his heavenly father more than he even trusted his own gut. He said, Father, I trust that you know what is best and I will drink from that cup. I will go down that path. Jesus was trusting in his heavenly father. He was honoring his heavenly father. And lastly, just as we saw in in Moses' correction, he was giving an example to those watching, wasn't he? He was trusting, he was honoring, and he was giving an example. That's the example that we follow. That's how we're going to get out of our desert, is to keep our eyes on him, not on ourselves, not on what culture says we need to do, not the next 10-step book that you're going to pick up on Amazon. But have we stopped to say, Jesus, what's the next step for me to get out of this desert? Some of you right now, you might be feeling like you're in a desert, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. You might feel like the church as a whole is kind of in a desert. You might feel like your community is in a desert or world is in a desert, whatever. What I want to do is just end today, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Because I, I did what Moses and Jesus did. I got on my knees and prayed about today and, and said, God, what do we do to respond? And so what we're going to do is just we're going to take time and allow you to have a conversation with Jesus right where you're at. You can get on your knees. You can stand. You can sit. I'm going to welcome the worship team up, and we're going we're gonna to have a, a time of, of worship and prayer and just waiting on the Lord together. And... I'm going to pray for us in just a second collectively, but I want you to have a conversation with Jesus. Because I, 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 what a disservice I would do to say, go listen and go be with Jesus for a moment, but we're not going to do that now. Hey, you're in a desert? Oh, bummer. See you later. Go get a donut. Like, no, we're going to stop and we're going to be with Jesus right in this moment and say, God, what is that next step for me, my family? my community, my church. We want the promised land. We want seasons of faithfulness and vibrance and growth. But I don't want to lean on anything other than Jesus to get there. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and the rest will work out. may not go according to plan for us, but and what we think is right, but what is the instruction? Seek first this kingdom. That's, let's, let's do that in this moment. Let's seek first his kingdom and not our own. Let's pray, church. I want to pray for us. And it's going to be a little quiet. You can converse with Jesus right where you're at. don't have to be loud for everybody to hear. 
But I want you to posture yourself, and I want you to have an honest conversation and, and just saying, Jesus, I need to know the next step. Let's pray. Jesus, right now in this moment, we come to you. You know each journey represented in this room and those watching online. God, you know our journeys because you've seen it and you've been walking with us and you know the next step. The step of obedience that we need to take. The step of faith that we need to take. A big step, a small step, a bold step doesn't doesn't matter. It's all a step in the direction that you are leading. But God, I pray that we would trust more in you than in ourselves. We would trust more in you than what our culture says. We would trust more in you than what we did 10 years ago. Just because it worked 10 years ago doesn't mean that that's what you have for us. We see that in Moses' story. God, that you would have maybe fresh instructions for us today, for 2021, right now, in this June summer season, God, what is the next step that you have for each person in this room? For each person watching, God, that you have a, a, a trajectory for us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.